Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined as always by the man who I would be straight on the Hogwarts Express to retrieve him if he was stolen by the English. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? Uh, I'm good. I've just uh, literally just got back from a lot of travelling over the last four weeks. So I'm looking forward to just being at home for the foreseeable. Um, But it's literally been planes, trains and automobiles since the last time I spoke to you in America yeah, and Scotland. It's been a, it's, it's been a bit mental because, I mean, our listeners probably wouldn't know, but, you know, effectively we, we banked a couple of episodes because I was going away and then, of course, you were going away. So we actually recorded our last two episodes <laughs> in the same weekend, like back to back. So it's been like a month since we've properly yeah. recorded. So it's, um, I was kind of setting everything up and being like, Jesus, do I remember how to do this? Yeah. It's uh, It's been so long. But yeah, you've had a, an epic little adventure, very much a... Five all goes west type <laughs> tale. Yeah, I was well. I was in New York, and um, I was in New York, and then I was in Baltimore, and then I was in Philadelphia. Um, but something that I did this time in America that I've never done in my previous trips there was take the Amtrak train. Have you ever ridden the Amtrak? Yes, I have. Yes, right. So it's actually yeah. it's not a horrible experience. The trains are quite no. nice. Um, yeah, you know they were. They, it was fine, but I had a bit of a I had a bit of a nightmare. So. Um, you and I, well, you and I have travelled together before, but it's been sort of mm. stag do's and we've been a bit pissed and, <laughs> you know what I mean, during the journey and it's all been fairly stressless. But as I've got yeah. older, when I, I'm not very good to travel with because I like to get there early. I like to know where I've got to mm. go. I get a bit nippy when I'm travelling. I think my wife would probably, <laughs> would probably say. And, <laughs> and, I, and for whatever reason, it's always worse when I'm on the homeward leg of the travel so because we had flown into new york we had arranged to fly back out in new york because it's one flight to dubai so our, on the last day of our trip to america our flight home to dubai was at 11 p.m so we got on the train at three o'clock in philadelphia allowing ample time to arrive in new york kill a couple hours there and then go to the airport so the first stop out of philadelphia is trenton new jersey Right, and the train stop, mm. and the, so the the train stops there, and we get a wee message on the intercom to say, uh, due to some fires on the tracks ahead, we're going to be waiting. <laughs> we need to stop here just now, but the fire brigade are working on it. We'll keep you updated. So I thought, right, oh well. It means maybe we won't have to kill any time in New York. Maybe we'll just go off the train and get a ta- and get a taxi <laughs> straight to the airport. But I, I wasn't concerned. My travelling companion was wasn't concerned either. It's six o'clock. We're still sitting in the in the train station, um, oh. and I'm getting emails from Amtrak saying your train is still in the station. I'm like, well, I fucking know that because I'm on the train. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, well, we're going to keep you updated. So about quarter past six, my travelling companion, who's also my boss, said, look, uh, I think we need to go off this train and see if we can get an Uber to the airport because we couldn't miss this. If I had missed that flight. I would have risked missing my flight the next day from Dubai uh, to Amsterdam to Scotland, so I, I yeah. couldn't miss it, right? Um, so we get a we get an Uber, which is a ninety mile <laughs> trip for the Uber driver from Trenton Ooh. to the to the airport. It costs three hundred dollars, but anyway, we get to the airport, we get checked in, we get into the lounge. I mean, my my nerves are fucking shredded, but I've had a couple of drinks. I'm coming back down to earth, getting emails from Amtrak telling me at nine o'clock at night the train's still in the station. Right? I'm like, fucking hell! It's so lu- so lucky that we uh, that we got that. 
they'll go that Uber. Yeah. So then I, I, I get on the plane. I'm just about to turn my phone off before the, just so I can relax and stuff, get an email. The fires are out. <laughs> we're just wait, <laughs> but we're just waiting for a crew change and then the train, but we don't know how long this will be. So people would have been stuck in that train from at least three o'clock. I think the train came from Washington to New York. So if they got on at Washington and they were going to like New York, They've been stuck there. They'd be stuck in a train for fucking eight hours or something. My God, yeah. Nightmare. That's horrible. Mm, yeah, you nightmare. obviously made the right decision in terms of yeah. getting off and getting the Uber. But my God, yeah, what an absolute nightmare. Big time. Yeah, honestly, I was my, my nerves were fucking shot to pieces. And by the time I got home to Dubai, I got back at like, I got home about in the house about nine o'clock at night. I was jet lagged. The next day... I had to. I was flying to uh, Scotland via Amsterdam. So be- between jet lag, between the fact that I pretty much was pissed every night that I was in America, and a bit drunk, <laughs> and pretty and pretty boozy um, on the flight back because we'll, because the company put us in business class and it was an A380, so you've got that wee bar just at the back of the plane mm. with Emirates. So yeah. yeah, so yeah, like I would, I didn't know if I was coming or going on um, on Friday, but uh, but yeah. Anyway, I'm glad to be back, back in my own house. And with all my own effects around me and um and yeah, I'm ready to do some culture swallowing. How have you, how have you been? <laughs> I've been all good, yeah. Nothing else. I I've got nothing exciting to report. I'd uh, obviously told all my travelling news in the last couple of episodes, so no, I've just been here. Nothing uh, nothing exciting to report, but it's been all good. But I'm very glad to to be back in the saddle and recording a new episode with and I'm very glad you're back. Me too. So Shall we have a look at what's been happening in Scotland over the last couple of weeks? I mean, you're going to be able to really tell us because you've been in Scotland for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> oh, I have, I have. There's been, there's been, a, lot, there's been a lot going on, um, especially, <laughs> especially politically, which resounds quite nicely mm. with our uh, movie today, actually. Of course, it mm. certainly does. Yeah. Wonderful. Right, well, shall we have a look at what's been happening in Scotland over the last couple of weeks? Cue the jingle. <laughs> Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, so why do you tell us what you've seen in Scotland over the last couple of weeks, especially since you've been there, so you've got some up-to-the-minute news, I would imagine. Well, I don't know if it's up-to-the-minute, but... uh... (laughs) The one thing that I'm doing on the podcast today that I've never ever done before, because whenever we are, you know, I was saying for you, whenever we're doing our news stories, we're always we're always taking them off the internet. But I've actually, mm. I'm going old school today. I've actually got a newspaper, so I do. Oh my goodness! Do. do they still print newspapers? They do. Listen, look, this can can, can hear it whistling. It's true. Um, yeah, I've got a copy of the Aberdeen Evening Express from the 29th of March. Um, so today is the 8th of April. So it's just over a bit, just a little over a week old. Um, so the headline reads: "Attack victim uh, colon I did it to myself." Uh, so this is um, a man, a man accused of attempting to murder his best friend with a meat cleaver and hammer, has been acquitted after the after the victim told a trial jury, "I probably did it to myself." <laughs> uh, Kim Twiddle's trial at the High Court in Aberdeen lasted less than two hours. 
and after hearing evidence from Scott Jarrett, the prosecution team decided to drop all the charges. Mr Twiddle, 45, had been accused of attempting to murder his friend Mr Jarrett at his home on Logue Road in Crimmins in Aberdeenshire by assaulting him to his severe injury and permanent disfigurement. The charge stated that Mr Twiddle repeatedly struck the 49-year-old on the head with a meat cleaver and then repeatedly hit him on the head with a hammer. Mr Twiddle was also accused of behaving in a threatening or abusive manner, engaging in a fight with Mr Jarrett on the same date, September the 18th, 2020. He denied all the charges against them. Mr Jarrett was the first and last witness to give evidence before the Crown decided that it would no longer be seeking convictions. Asked by Advocate Deputy Leanne McQuillan if he remembered sustaining some injuries, Mr Jarrett replied, I can't remember anything about it. At the time, I was heavily involved with drinking and tacking drugs. I was completely and utterly off my face, and I didn't care what was going on. Mr Jarrett went on to describe Mr Twiddle as one of his best friends, and said the pair had consumed a colossal amount of alcohol and drugs. <laughs> a colossal amount of alcohol and drugs across four days before the incident happened. Asked what he remembered about that day, Mr. Jarrett said, being half a drunk and out my face and falling all over the place. That's all I can remember. <laughs> Mr. Mc- Miss McQuillan asked, do you remember getting those injuries? He replied, I probably did it to myself. (laughs) The advocate deputy then took Mr Jarrett through a statement that he had given to police at the time in which he said Mr Twiddle had got a bit nippy. Reading the statement... (laughs) It's like you travelling. Yes, Elliot. Reading the statement, Miss McQuillan said, Kim got aggressive with me and I saw him raise his right hand to go for me. The statement went on to detail four or five sharp blows to his head. However, asked if he'd been telling the truth, Mr Jarrett said, I can't remember. <laughs> asked if he'd been lying, he said, I didn't ken what I was saying. <laughs> he went on to say, I was out my face and didn't have a clue what I was saying. I was spicking gobbledygook probably. <laughs> I mean, we all speak gobbledygook after a colossal amount of bevy, don't we? And drugs over four days. Uh, the, de- <laughs> the defence counsel, Gareth Reid, said he had no cross-examination for the witness and Ms McQuillan told the court that the Crown would no longer be seeking convictions. Lord Scott then formally acquitted Mr Twiddle of Rosemount Square, Aberdeen. So that's the end of the story. <laughs> I mean, my first thought when you hear the story is uh, a hammer and a meat cleaver. I'm like, the fuck is he, old boy or something? <laughs> like- <laughs> Charging down a corridor, battering, <laughs> battering himself by the sounds of things. How could you inflict those injuries upon yourself? That is a hell of a weekend that you've had. I mean, that's yeah. a, a four day. That's a that's, proper that's a, Easter weekend gonna, bank holiday. I was isn't say it? that's a bank holiday weekend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is as well, he's been injured to his permanent disfigurement. So yeah. it's not just like falling over in the toilet and whacking your head off the pan or something like that. You know what I mean? It's that's bad. Yeah. So. It's something quite serious mm. that's gone on there. But he, he, he's 
thinks he's done it to himself because he says a colossal amount. That's a great never thought of that term. I had a fucking colossal amount of bevy in drugs last night. Yeah, sadly. I mean, another thing is, who keeps a meat cleaver in a house? You know what I mean? Unless you're really serious. We've got a meat cleaver. Have you really? I've got a meat cleaver. Yeah, we've got a meat cleaver. Yeah. I'm vegetarian. Yeah, but it's still got a cleaver. Like it, it's handy for chopping up carrots and stuff. <laughs> it's handy for home defence. You just sort of leave it lying out all the time, and so any burglars looking through the window will be immediately deterred. <laughs> My wife still eats meat, but I can't remember. We got it. I think I we were at a shop, I think, and we just saw it, and we were like, "This is cool. Should we get this?" Because it's just like a fucking proper meat cleaver. Right. It's brilliant. Yeah, we'd never attack anyone with a home defence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd have to, I'll maybe put it away in case one weekend I do have a colossal amount of boots. And <laughs> just decide to go. Start knocking mumps at yourself with it. You know? <laughs> try, try to do the, um, the, the bishop from Aliens knife trick, but with a meat cleaver. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so he got acquitted of all charges, though, obviously, because the, the guy has just said, I, I did it to myself. Exactly, basically. yeah. He's, That's, it's all scoffed. What a horrendous story. I mean, it's a great story, but Jesus, yeah. what the fuck is going on in Aberdeen? That's mental. Well, it was in Crimmond, wasn't it? I think, I think Crimmond. I think oh, Crimmond. Crimmond's so. out towards Fraserborough, I think, if I remember, if I remember mm. my Aberdeenshire geography. Ah, uh, yeah, that explains a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's not a lot to do in the, in the, Aberdeenshire, con- in the Aberdeenshire countryside, I, which I can speak from experience, having just spent a week there. <laughs> So yeah, so I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping that the two have reconciled and they're and they're once again best friends and that a lesson has been learned somewhere about yeah. about the danger yeah the dangers of taking colossal colossal amounts of drugs and booze over four days. <laughs> I mean, I've never been in that way inclined. Like I've, we've had a few sessions where we've had maybe a few days where we have ingested a colossal amount of, bu- of, of, of abuse <laughs> um, well <laughs> we'll put our bodies through some amount of abuse but yeah we, we have had you know long weekends where we have taken a colossal amount of booze yeah. and i'm sure our, maybe our, our mutual friend will definitely have taken a colossal amount of abuse over a day like that but never never even fall out or have harsh words with each other like no. let alone bat or fuck out of each other i've never been able to understand that you know the if, if what drives people to do that if anything may go the other way oh you're my best yeah you're my best pal t- yeah you know, <laughs> you know, honestly there's not do anything for you pal <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we do go a bit that yeah. way. Um, but yeah, I've never been able to understand that, getting violent or anything, no. but um, especially doing it to yourself. But who knows? It's um, Once you've had a colossal amount, then it uh, yeah. it just takes you over, I guess. I mean, I've, I've definitely hurt myself a few times and I've been pissed, but not like, I haven't like self-inflicted hurt myself. I've like taken a tumble or done something stupid or something like that and hurt myself, but that yeah. way, you know, try to show off or whatever when I was younger. No, you've, you've never thought, Ralph, now's a good time to get the chainsaw out <laughs> yeah. and see how close I could get. <laughs> it sort of reminded me that you and I were talking in the group the other day, and I, well, no, we aren't even talking in the group, we're just talking to each other, and I was saying uh, the, the, the BBC iPlayer at the moment has got both series of the young ones, like the classic old mm. uh, British uh, sitcom with Rick Mayo and Asian Edmondson, etc., and like Vivian is quite into just like hitting his head off the wall, or you know what I mean, or cutting his own finger off and stuff. You know, I thought, oh, I wonder if uh, they've been watching the young ones or something, and maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe Kim's dared them. I bet you can't hit yourself in the head four or five times with a meat cleaver. You know? <laughs> 
I mean, surely you start at a frying pan first <laughs> yeah. and then go up to the meat cleaver. Yeah, yeah. After like three whacks of the frying pan, you're like, actually, I think I've had enough. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to. Uh, <laughs> it's a fucking stupid that. idea. <laughs> yeah, we start with a Nerf gun or something. Like that. <laughs> Although Nerf guns are quite sore if you uh, if you get shot close enough with them. Anyway, that's my first story. As I say, I hope the two are, have reconciled and they're best pals and they've learnt their lesson. What is your what's your first story this week? Uh, my first story is also well, also sorry, your first one. So even express sorry. Uh, mine is from the Scottish Sun this week, and the headline is got beef (laughs) um and (laughs) the sub headline is morrison shopper is horrified after spotting a man stuffing eight steaks down his trousers (laughs) (laughs) oh oh just wait it gets better Um, a morrison's customer was left horrified after she witnessed a shopper putting eight steaks down his trousers the stunned woman claims she was browsing at the supermarket chain's Dalkeith branch near Edinburgh when the bizarre incident happened. The shopper said some of the vacuum-packed meat was returned to the shelf after the man was confronted (laughs) by staff after the incident on Wednesday, March the 15th. The disgusted customer wrote on Twitter, I was in your Dalkeith store today and alerted your staff... Oh, she's a fucking grass. (laughs) I alerted your staff to a man who had put eight stakes down his trousers and walked out the shop. Staff apprehended him, got four of the stakes back, and then the butcher put them back on the shelf. Is this usual practice? What I want to know is what happened to the other four stakes. Morrison's declined to comment when approached by the Scottish Sun, but they said they are aware of the incident. Uh, The Scottish Sun told how Morrison's eco campaign was plunged chili choppers into darkness in toilets and left others unable to read product labels in groomy stores. (laughs) Customers complained that they need head torches and ski gear to brave (laughs) Arctic conditions. After chain bosses cut the heating and lighting in a drive to become carbon neutral. And one told how his wife was forced to struggle out of a toilet cubicle by torchlight after being blacked out in the toilet. Which is that a torch that a knickers or what? <laughs> Just... We also told how a man living next to Morrison's is fuming about the CCTV cameras which peer into his bedroom and bathroom. <laughs> with the residents comparing it to a prison camp. Uh, Many locals are unhappy with the bid and have lodged objections. (laughs) So, um, I mean, the main story here is that they... Now, this is what I want to know. So she's she's seen this guy stuffing eight steaks down his trousers. She's grasped on him. You know, that's on you. You know, whatever you want to do. Um, Security have apprehended him, but they've only managed to get four back. So did he get away with the other four? Or Or could he? uh, And they've just taken them out of his trousers and just put them straight back on the shelf. (laughs) Fuck's sake. Or were the other four too soiled to go back on the shelf, perhaps? That's what I'm wondering. He's put them down as jobby catchers, <laughs> and then he's... Uh, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> um, and, and, yeah, who knows what's happened to the other four? I mean, eight stakes. Could you fit eight stakes down your trousers, do you think? Uh, well, probably not, because I don't, I, don't, I don't wear particularly baggy trousers. I tend to wear sort of closer-fitting, a closer-fitting <laughs> trouser, you know, so... <laughs> Vacuum packed, so would you be happy to eat a steak if you knew it had been down somebody's trousers, even though it's vacuum packed, so it's sealed? I mean, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't, I pro- if, you know, given the choice, probably not, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, I mean, ideally you wouldn't want yeah. to, but, you know, just saying, would you? If I had to, 
I guess I'd just cook it a bit more than I would normally cook a steak, <laughs> perhaps. It's not a bush tucker trial or anything. I'm just asking. <laughs> <laughs> would you have a JK steak? I mean, I, like you know, if I was starving, if I was starving, you know, I, I maybe would cook it perhaps medium as opposed to my usual medium rare. <laughs> you know, just being a safe side. Yeah. Like, so you'd be like, okay, Greg, what we have here is a steak that's been wiped on a Jakey's balls. <laughs> Will you eat it? <laughs> you get a star. <laughs> I mean, if it got me in the telly, I probably would. <laughs> <laughs> And then after, you get a brat verse that's been up his ass. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, horrified. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, you can only imagine. But then also, you know, Morrison's are obviously in a, a cost-cutting campaign. People are having to wear head torches and gloves to go into their stores. I mean, utilities are very expensive in the UK at the moment. So, <laughs> but do you know what? Do you know what I think is probably more likely? So a lot of places and will have like sort of power saving lights so if there's nobody in there the little motion detector tells the light there's nobody in there and it goes off and then when somebody comes in it should come on automatically yeah um then maybe she's maybe it just hasn't picked up her movement or something maybe she's maybe she's been sitting on the pan for ages and ages and, you know. she was she was in there having a movement and then she didn't pick up her movement exactly. maybe yeah who knows? I know. I know it can be difficult for old people to sometimes. That's why they eat a lot of things like prunes and stuff like that. You know. <laughs> anyway, so just a warning to our listeners: if you are in Morrison's um, in the Dalkeith branch, I would um, just check the stakes and see if they're like body temperature wise, <laughs> how they are to the touch, yeah. and if they smell say, maybe. faintly of piss. <laughs> If you're detecting that common aroma of urine and purple tin, (laughs) (laughs) spilled purple tin, you might want to put it it back in the shelf and take one from the back. (laughs) Have the lamb instead. I think that's probably the best bet. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay. So, uh, right. So, what else have you seen this week, Greg? Um, Okay. So, this is another good one um, I found today. Oh, we'll be the judge of that, I think. (laughs) Uh, on the Scottish Sun uh, from, from, from from just yesterday. Uh, the, the headline in true classic uh, Scottish Sun style is Orgy Bargy. <laughs> Historic sawmill. <laughs> Historic sawmill at the centre of a demolition battle is being used as a sex club complete with its own dungeon. <laughs> um, so... A 19th century sawmill uh, is being used as a sex club in Glasgow. Um, swingers and fetishists meet regularly for kinky parties at the C-listed Renaissance block, which boasts eight playrooms and a love swing. <laughs> Unsuspecting MSP Paul Sweeney is going to be really pleased that his name is going to be forever attached to this story. <laughs> uh, is at the centre of the fight to save the two-story building in Port Dundas in Glasgow, which developers want to turn into 60 flats. The admired former City Sawmill Works Office was designed by the architect George Bell in 1893. One local witness partygoers at the venue said, I wonder if these history buffs would be so keen to save the building if they knew what was going on inside its walls. Never mind listed status, it should be rubber stamped X-rated. Uh, a promotion for the saucy CJ's at the Townhouse Club reads, We have eight playrooms, an open room, a fully equipped 
Dungeon, Couples and Single Female Only Room Love Swing, Cinema Room and four private rooms, one which is medical themed and one which can be a a voyeur room. (laughs) When we revealed the sex club to Mr Swinney, he said, Goodness me, I didn't know it was being used for that. My interest begins and ends with its architectural features. Hmm, Methinks the honourable member protest too much. (laughs) Goodness me. (laughs) Goodness me. Uh, A a spokeswoman from CJ's uh, declined to comment. But the Scottish Sun apparently revealed recently that uh, Scottish OnlyFans star Lana Wolfe, who has appeared in the Swally before, although not in person, oh, um, yeah, yes. she moved into a church <laughs> and built her own sex dungeon. The, so- the Scots Stunner, mm. I think, I'm not sure, I think that's probably an exaggeration, she's not bad looking, uh, is one of the biggest names in the adult industry and earns big bucks. <laughs> And earns big bucks from her OnlyFans subscriber. Uh, but she shocked folk when she made her biggest investment recently, splashing half a million pounds on a converted chapel in Glasgow. So yeah, so in Port Dundas, which is quite an industrial area, my auntie actually, there used to be, and there may still be, one of the distilleries uh, in Port Dundas. My auntie used to work in it when I was a little boy. I think it's shut down since. I don't know, I can't say if it's been used as a sex club or something. I would think to think it is. Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, this is uh, this is yeah the city sawmill. What do you think of that? I mean, it, it sounds like something out of a horror movie, doesn't it? Like you know, I can imagine this old abandoned kind of barn and these you know circular saws being used as sex tools. It's yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it doesn't strike me as particularly sexy, does it? I mean, well, it's a, I, I, I guess it takes all sorts, but it's, it sounds as though it's all been refurbished and um and made into a sort of sexy. Mm. So, I mean, it, it sort of reads as though it's kind of all above board, and it's a sort of safe space for the uh, sort of couples and perverts, and <laughs> deviants and stuff <laughs> like that to to go along and indulge in their disgusting fantasies in a safe space you know <laughs> so it's kind of like eyes wide shut but in a, a sawmill <laughs> in glasgow yeah type thing yeah. in glasgow <laughs> with a love swing <laughs> boars clamped shut yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah a love swing i mean i, I don't know I, I, I couldn't imagine anything unsexier than swinging on a love swing in a sawmill in glasgow <laughs> i'm sure it's all been done up and it's all yeah. you know beautiful plush cushions and with studs in them and it's all diamond encrusted dildos and all that jazz but um yeah it's it, it doesn't strike me as, as very sexy no. that um yeah the msp is um yeah he's a regular there when he's like oh what, what did he say golly gosh <laughs> i didn't realize that was what it was used for <laughs> it's a good goodness me he said um yeah I th- goodness me is he out of enid blighton or something he's either fighting to save the sex club or he's fucked it <laughs> Basically, do you know what I mean? He's just <laughs> yeah. He saw what he thought was a good cause, which would probably, which might get him some good, a little bit of good press, some goodwill, and it's uh, it's sort of gone off in his face. <laughs> you might say, yeah, that's gonna, it's gone off in his face. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna come back to haunt him when that place gets raided and they fucking get all the credit card receipts from there. He's gonna, uh, yeah, be in for a bit of a rude awakening there. I think. Yeah, I'm not sure that the Scottish government. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure the Scottish government needs any more bad press this week, to be quite honest. No. <laughs> he was released without charge, Greg. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, it, it, it doesn't say whether Paul Swinney is uh, MSP for the SNP or for one of the other parties, uh, but he is wearing a tie that suggests the sort of SNP colour scheme, so I suspect he's probably one of uh, Hamza, okay. one of Hamza's guys. <laughs> You know, <clears throat> yeah. I think we're going to leave that hot potato just, <laughs> just, just there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's my sexy sawmill in Glasgow. What's your next story this week? My next story is also from the Scottish Sun. It's quite a Scottish Sun centric episode this week, <laughs> and the headline is Blockbuster. I'm the UK's biggest cinema fan. I see two movies a day. Cineworld is my office. So this is a film flan. A film flan? (laughs) He's not a cake. He's a fan from Glasgow. And Hughes revealed that he is the UK's biggest cinema goer. Marco Greco, 50, loves the escape of going to see the latest movies. And he reckons he watches about 700 a year. He spoke out after seeing fellow cinema nut Mark Green get praised up last week for only going to see 208 films a year. (laughs) Marco from Glasgow said... That guy's trying to steal my crown. (laughs) I blow him out the water. (laughs) I come to the cinema seven days a week, but I'd be here eight days a week if I could. Um, (laughs) Good on you, Marco. Um, There's nothing better than the escape and being transported to another world. I love it. Uh, Marco thinks he picked up his film, uh, his love of movies, uh, from his dad, and he's been going to see films since he was about 10. He goes to see everything, including animated movies and even big releases he doesn't that much fancy. Since last Friday, he's been to see the new John Wick film six times. Now, could you imagine going to the cinema to see a film six fucking times? No. I mean, so is he... So I. Okay. No, yeah, definitely not. Is 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 he not sort of content? I thought his contention there was that he went to see seven hundred uh, new films a year, but it doesn't really count if you go to no. see the same film fucking six times, surely. No, that's what I would say with you, Greg. I would agree with you on that. I think so. His favorite film of all time is Castaway with Tom Hanks. So a pal got in touch when he realised someone else had been hailed as the number one cinema goer. Marco said, I don't want to sound like a weirdo or anything like that. My mum tells me I'm off my nut, but I'm the biggest cinema fan in the country. There is no one who comes more than me. (laughs) I'm here so often. Apart from me, John Swinney, MSP. (laughs) I come here so often. (laughs) I come here so often. I use the public seating area as my office. I sent all my emails and messages from there. Marco has a Cineworld Unlimited card. I'd fucking hope so, Marco. Uh, which means he can go and see as many movies as he wants for a fixed fee. He reckons paying for every ticket would cost him £300 a month. The former barber is out of work at the moment because he's caring for his elderly mum. Uh, but once he's sorted her for the day, he heads to his first showing and then walks straight into the next one to see more. He does have a girlfriend... He would like to stress. Um, but He never sees her. <laughs> well, because she has no interest in movies. Marco said, she's with the wrong guy, really. I tell her she has to wash her mouth out with soap and water. I mean, all right, Marco, fucking easy on. Um, so I mostly end up coming on my own. But that's fine by me. Uh, Marco has always asked for his views on the latest releases by friends and he now wants to launch a new career. He said, I'm the new Barry Norman. I'd love to become a proper reviewer. 
I'd be good at it. I know what everyone likes to watch. Um, Alison Chase, general manager of Cineworld on Glasgow's Renfrew Street, said, We fully support Marco's claim to being the king of cinema here in the UK. We see him every day, and the team's always looking forward to hearing the reviews of the latest films. I bet they're fucking <laughs> not. I bet they're fucking sick of this. It's like, oh, fuck, here's this cunt again. Um, Marco has an unlimited card, which means he can see as many films as he'd like each month, and he's definitely making the most of it. We want more Glasgow locals to do the same, so we've just introduced unlimited memberships at 10 99 a month for the first three months, so you can see as many films as you want for the price of one month. There are some great blosters blockbusters coming our way such as Gardens of the Galaxy 3, Fast X and Little Mermaid so join Unlimited and see them there. Marco has listed his top five films of all time. I just want to reiterate that Greg, his top five films of all time. Would you like to know what Marco's top five films of all time are? I'm ready. Let's hear what this tiresome cunt's top five films are. (laughs) Well we've already said his his favourite film of all time is Castaway with Tom Hanks, yeah? His, um, his second favourite film of all time is John Wick, the original, not the fourth one that he's already been to see six times, yeah. the, 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 the original, okay. yeah? Uh, number three is The Godfather, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's a lazy choice, yeah. I think. Um, number four, someone we can all agree with, I think, is Rocky. Oh, yeah, yeah. And number five is is Elvis. Mm. I've not seen Elvis yet, although my, my, daughter, my daughter watched Elvis last night when we were flying back from... Um, uh, from London and she said it was good so I'll, I, I suppose I'll have to watch it at some point I would highly recommend it it's very good but yeah so that is Marco so he is the UK's biggest cinema mm, it's, it sounds like a fucking tiresome cunt to me I've got to be quite honest yeah yeah. It does a bit. I'm like, I'm a bit shocked at that. Like, his girlfriend doesn't like films. I need to tell her she needs to wash her mouth out with soap and water. Like, Jesus Christ, Marco, you can't go saying stuff like that. You think maybe Arnie Hammer's like his favourite movie star? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Anyway, wish you all the best of luck, Marco, and I hope that you enjoy your cinema-going experience in the future. Uh, Have you seen anything else in the last couple of weeks, Greg? Um, Well, I've got a story that's, I'm sure, listeners will be relieved, that does not contain uh, any deviants, people masturbating in the street or anything like that. Um, But it's it's definitely one that's maybe a bit more up our alley, um, just because of our interests, which aren't related to Scottish uh, media and culture. So this is from the Daily Record. Um, yesterday, a, a toy found by a Scot while cleaning out his mum's house has sold for £8,500 at auction. So it's a rare 1957 Radicon toy robot. It's made in Japan. Uh, very, very, these mm-hmm. old Japanese robots are um, highly sought after, I understand. When it was featured in McTeer's Antique and Interiors auction in Glasgow, it was expected to fetch up to 10 grand, but it mm. sold for 8400 8, Um It was made by the Japanese toy maker Ma- uh, Masudea in 1957 so uh, and it was the first to be produced in a member of the gang of five robots that were only available by special purchase in the late 1950s uh, given it a heightened status so I think you know uh, that's a story basically but I think that's a bit of a sort of dream isn't it to come across something like that um, somewhere you know yeah I mean I remember being delighted when I went to my local toy shop in Amsterdam and there was a a toy shop just around the corner where I used to sell like vintage you know toys Mm -hmm. and stuff and I found um, 
a WWE classic superstars Jerry Briscoe figure that I knew for a fact was worth about 90 euros or right. so. Mm-hmm. And he had it for sale for 20. Oh. So I bought that, put yeah. it straight on eBay, got 95 euros for it, <laughs> <laughs> posted it off. And I was delighted at that. However, yeah. you know, this guy is taking it to another level. That is, um, that's as you say, that's the dream, finding something that's, uh, that's worth a fortune that you're going to yeah. end up selling for a fortune. Yeah, and I'll, 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 I'll bet there's a story behind that toy because I can't imagine that um, mm. Japanese toys were that easy to come by in Scotland in the 1950s, you know? So it's maybe it's been somebody's dad's been like in the Merchant Navy or something like that, or the Royal Navy and has brought it back. It's um, it's, it's in the box and everything. So, um, yeah, no, really nice little story there. Do you have any more oh, any more stories? That's lovely. Um, I do. I have a little, a quick little story, but it leads to more of a game for you, Greg. Okay. So last week, Samuel L. Jackson is filming in Glasgow at the moment. Mm. And he was photographed holding up a ranger shirt that he had signed for a charity auction. So this led to all the Rangers fans claiming Samuel L. Jackson as a Rangers fan. However, this week, Sam has been photographed in a Celtic tracksuit. So they've kind of gone into a meltdown of, well, who, what's he doing? Who's, who's he supporting? But obviously, if he's wearing the tracksuit, then, you know, you would think he's a... He's a Celtic fan. So there was an article in the Scottish Sun earlier this week, and it was a list of famous Hollywood celebrities that have been photographed in either a Rangers top or a Celtic top over the years. So I'd like to play a little game that I'd like to call, are they a boy, B-H-O-Y, or a Billy boy? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm going to give you my list of um, celebrities and... I want you to tell me, are they a boy or are they a Billy boy? So, okay. first up on the list, I'm, I've got an easy one for you, because this is easy. Everyone knows this one. The dog father himself, Snoop D-O-double-G. Snoop Dogg, is he a boy or is he a Billy boy? Uh, I believe he's a I believe he's a boy, uh, Snoop Dogg. Correct. He is. He is indeed yeah. a Celtic fan, and he's famously pictured in, in Celtic um, tops quite a lot. Okay, next up, I'm going to give you the star of Mad Men, Don Draper, and I, th- I believe he's Fletch in the new Fletch films, John yeah. Hamm. Is he a boy, or is he a Billy boy? Right, let me think. So John Hamm, good-looking guy. He's got a, got a bit of a sense of humour, I believe. I liked him in Baby Driver. I thought he was good in that. Um, I would say... John Hamm is, you know, he's probably quite happy to eat meat on a Friday because of his second name. So I'm going to say he's a Billy boy. Actor John Hamm visited Glasgow last January and was spotted taking in Celtic against Hibs at Parkhead. And there's a photograph of John wearing a Celtic hat. Oh, so he's a, he's a boy, unfortunately. Okay, um, I'm going to give you next, uh, I believe he's probably best known as McDreamy uh, from Grey's Anatomy. It's Patrick Dempsey, the actor. Is Patrick Dempsey a boy or is he a Billy boy? Um, let me see. So, so well, the fucked it on John Hamm. So I'm going to go with the law of averages and say that Patrick Dempsey is a Billy boy. Patrick Dempsey was once spotted in Los Angeles wearing a Rangers home jersey wow. from the 2010-2011 season. And there's a photo of Patrick Dempsey walking around LA with tenants on his chest wearing the Billy boy blue of Rangers. Okay, next up. 
I give you popular singer Lana Del Rey. Is Lana Del Rey a boy or a a Billy boy or a Billy lady boy? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, let me think. Well, I know that obviously her namesake, Lana Wolf, is uh, famously a Rangers fan. So I'm going to... Gonna go out in a bit of a limb and say that uh, Lana Del Rey is a is a Billy boy. Lana Del Rey is an admirer of Celtic, having always had a soft spot for mm. the Hoops. After her relationship with Glasgow-born Cassidy frontman Barry James O'Neill. Um, so yeah, right. in 2020, the US singer vowed Celtic fans with a stunning rendition of "You'll Never Walk Alone." So, wow, well, well, you're not doing very well here, Greg. Um, no. Okay, I've got two left for you. Okay, two left. Um, so I'm going to give you. I'm going to say something there, but I can't say. Um, bear in mind his history. I think it should be obvious what he is. Um, I'm going to give you former world heavyweight champion of the world, Iron Mike Tyson. Is he a boy or is he a Billy boy? Uh, I'll... Mm, let me think. I think he's probably a Billy boy. Mike Tyson was pictured wearing a Rangers top when leaving a gym in 2010. He was also spotted by snappers in Rangers gear outside a Smackdown gym in Peterborough. So yes, he is oh, well, a go. Billy boy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the final one I've got for you is Iron Man himself, Robert Downey Jr. Is he a boy or is he a Billy boy? Uh, I think probably Downey Jr. is a boy. The Iron Man star caused a frenzy on social media when a picture of him in a hoops top went viral. Uh, yeah, so yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is a boy. So that concludes Boy or Billy Boy. Uh, you did all right, Greg. You got a few wrong at the start, but you pulled yourself back towards the end there with Mike Tyson and um, and Robert Downey Jr. So I think you, right, you did well, a good job there. I quit myself, yeah. yeah. Now, did any of those shock you? Not really. Um, it doesn't really surprise me when Americans sort of gravitate more toward Celtic because obviously you've got the Boston Celtics who play in green, um, who are I think are one of the most supported basketball teams, um, especially from especially with famous people from the East Coast. So yeah, I'm never that surprised when uh, I think you know I think the colours are more to their taste. <laughs> I'm sure it's got nothing to do with the club. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, um, definitely not. But you're, no. you've reminded me there when you um, mentioned Mike Tyson. I need to address something that I said on the last episode um, of the Culture Swally when I mentioned that the recently, the late, the very recently late Ken Buchanan, who died last week, uh, uh, probably Scotland's most successful ever boxer. Um, we were talking about him in the last episode and then unfortunately he passed away um, at the beginning of last week. I mentioned that Ken had appeared in Still Game, but of course it was uh, Jim Watt who appeared in Still Game, not Ken Buchanan. But um, I was very sorry to see that Ken had passed away there last week. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I thought about that as well when I, I read the news and I was like, oh shit, I'm pretty sure we just mentioned him on the last episode of the podcast. Like, yeah. I hope um, I hope we're not going to start one of those <laughs> curse things. So yeah, genuinely, probably one of scotland's greatest athletes um and yeah sports persons yeah okay greg so um before we go on to what we're going to be talking about today let's have a little word from our sponsors today there are over 200 building societies in britain yet only a handful have head offices outside england one of these is the dunfermline scotland's largest building society the dunfermline offers a wide choice of attractive savings plans including our new premium income account which earns a high 8.75 percent 
With 35 branches from Kirkwall to Castle Douglas, the Dunfermline is very much your local building society, Scotland's largest and growing every day. And if you'd like to sponsor the Culture Swally, then please get in touch on cultureswally at gmail.com. Okay, Greg, so it was your choice on this Swally this week. So why do you tell us what we're going to be talking about today? So this week I picked something that I had only seen a little bit of before. I don't know if, I can't remember if you said if you'd seen it, but I picked um, the 2008 movie Stone of Destiny, uh, directed by Charles Martin Smith, who's probably better known for his acting, uh, famously in The Untouchables and American Graffiti, Uh, but he did direct the very first episode of Buffy, The Vampire Slayer, which is quite interesting. Um, As I said, the film was released in 2008, it stars uh, Daredevil, Charlie Cox, the lovely Kate Mara, um, Robert Carlyle, and Swally favourite Stephen McCall. The film is based on the famous uh, Christmas Day 1950 removal of the Stone of Schoon from Westminster Abbey by members of the Scottish Covenant Association, which were a group fighting for home rule for Scotland. So, what did you think of, uh, what was your thoughts on Stone of Destiny? Yeah, I, I was aware of this film. I'd never seen it, so first time viewing it, but I was aware of it. And of course, we all know about the, the story of the stealing of the Stone of Schoon and um, taking it back over the border. So it, it's a famous story, but I'd never actually seen the film, but I was aware of its existence. Um, I watched this last week with my wife for the you know, first time yeah. that I'd seen it. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like, <laughs> it's it, great, it's, isn't it? <laughs> it's a... It's kind of a, it's almost a bit like a TV kind of movie. Like it, it reminded me a little bit of like a kind of 1950s Ealing kind of mm-hmm. caper. At, at the end of the day, it's a heist movie. Yeah. It's, it's more of a caper than a, than a heist because there's no, and it's quite refreshing to see. There's no guns, there's no explosions, mm. there's no car chases. It's, it's just a nice kind of gentle film. Yeah. And. It's so lovely, say, watching this with my wife, because she's German, and, and she's watching this, and she's like, you guys have just got so much history and, and stuff. Like, it's it must be so great to be Scottish, like, in terms of just all this rich history and culture and all this stuff that you can talk about and make films about. Mm-hmm. And it is wonderful, and it is a, it's a wonderful kind of history lesson, mm-hmm. in, in a way. I mean, I, I do think, and we'll come back to that later, that they don't go in enough, in my opinion, of... The history of of the Stone of Scoon yeah, yeah. and everything that goes with it. It is kind of like you know, but it's for what it is. It's a ninety minute light hearted kind of caper, and I I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Like I I did really enjoy watching it, and there's some great performances in it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know it's great. You know, so perhaps for the benefit of maybe uh, listeners overseas who are unfamiliar, uh, the Stone of Scoon historically and originally was the stone that the kings of Scotland um, were coronated on and it was stolen by Edward I or Longshanks, Braveheart fans will know him better as, uh, taken to London as a spoil of war and placed in his chair uh, in Westminster Abbey and and all all, um, English and then British monarchs have been crowned on it because I guess the contention is is that they, when they're uh, coronated as the king or queen on the Stone of Destiny, then it sort of cements their rule over Scotland as well as the rest of the as the rest of the of the Union. The the actual heist itself. I mean, I was reading about it, and the film is quite. It's very very close 
to actual events. I mean, there are some bits which mm. I'm sure have been dramatised, but the, the sort of broad strokes are, are very, very close to what actually happened. But it's thought that the heist itself was based on a book, on the story in a book called uh, North, The North Wind of Love, which was uh, released in 1944 by an by a author called Compton Mackenzie, which tells uh, the story of a group of people stealing the famous stone from Westminster Abbey. It's thought that Ian Hamilton and his, his cohorts um, took inspiration from the book. The only, I mean, in terms of the performances, as you mentioned, there's some great ones. I Let me know if you agree with this, but I think Charlie Cox maybe listened to a lot of Ewan McGregor speaking when he was working on it. <laughs> When he when he was working on his Scottish accent, because he sounds in certain parts of the film, he sounds almost identical to Ewan McGregor. Yeah, I thought quite similar actually. Um, I I really did, and he he does. Look, Charlie Cox is great, and he is a great actor. We both love the Daredevil TV series, and he's brilliant in that. He is great in this, but he's English at the end of the day. Like I can only yeah. presume was James McAvoy busy or just not interested. <laughs> in this because this is the kind of role that James McAvoy would have been perfect for and would have done I don't want to say better than Cox because he he does do a a good performance but at the end of the day he's English yeah his accent it's pretty you know it's spot on there's not a lot I mean we'll come to we'll come to Kate Jessica Lange Mara later (laughs) on but I think um, Cox he does a good Scottish accent you wouldn't really have noticed otherwise I, I can't help but, like, a lot of the times when he's acting, and it, I guess it is just because I'm so used to seeing him in Daredevil, like, he does look like he's blind a lot of the time <laughs> when he's kind of, some of the the way he glances and looks at things. But, um, yeah, it, it is a good performance, and he's very believable in terms of the, as as, um, he's, as he is. He's, um, he's very earnest, I think, and, you know, mm. when it, when I was reading a bit about... Um, about Ian Hamilton and I think Ian Hamilton they through his whole life uh, was a bit of a, a sort of antagonist um, to one ex- to, 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 to some extent and I think you do see a little bit of that in the performance from Charlie Cox I mean, you know I think the only the only times his accent is a bit wobbly is when he tries to use a bit of sort of kind of co- sort of co- colloquialism like all right or thanks mate and stuff like mm. that when he's just you know when he's just when he's just got lines to deliver and his accent he's pretty good i think maybe the reason that mcavoy maybe didn't maybe didn't get this part if he was even up for it i think probably charlie cox had a bit more juice because this was because the the year before he was in stardust the mm. matthew vaughan directed story based on the uh, Neil Gaiman book um, which has got an all-star cast um, we actually watched it um, last year with the kids it's there's worse ways to spend a rainy Saturday afternoon than watching Stardust by the way but um, yeah, I wonder if maybe uh, Charlie Cox just had a bit more had a bit more juice than McAvoy then because um, McAvoy would have been doing like The Last King of Scotland well maybe not actually because McAvoy yeah. Ma- McAvoy did The Last King of Scotland a couple of years before this came out so yeah. who knows I think around around about this time I think McAvoy was in like Wanted with Angelina Jolie yeah so, so maybe that's why he didn't do it then maybe maybe yeah. Mac- <laughs> maybe McAvoy had too much juice uh, to appear in um, <laughs> to appear in, in, in this one because the production is, is quite a 
it's quite a sort of low budget uh, movie. Um, I think it's Canadian Film Board uh, provided the funding and stuff for it. And I suppose getting them um, Charles Martin Smith, like an American director, and, and everything into to direct it. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's kind of as you say, low budget. But then the cast is quite not stellar. But you know, we have Charlie Cox, as you say, he was yep. probably on quite a high at that time. Mm-hmm. Kate Mara was just kind of taking off in a way. I think she just done Shooter with like Mark Wahlberg right. ar- around about this time as well. Um, um, you've got Billy Boyd, mm-hmm. you know, Steve McCall, uh, Peter Mullen, Robert Carlyle, yeah. Brenda Fricker as well, you know, um, Rab Affleck. Yeah. There's, um, there's quite a, a decent cast in this film too. So, and I think the a lot of the, you know, supporting parts have, have got a good part to play mm-hmm. in this as well. I mean, Peter Mullen obviously is, that's one thing I would say about this film, it is quite gentle and kind of twee and the only kind of grit is comes from Peter Mullen's character. Yeah effectively who is quite a scary father figure just can't, you know you can't help it though. You know, speak up yeah yeah speak up please you know it's, it's you are quite like oh holy shit but yeah you're right peter mullen i guess just can't help it it's just the way he is yeah. but he's in in his what two scenes mm. he's fucking brilliant yeah he's great he's great and the, the his last scene when he you know but and, and it's because it's just yeah peter mullen just just can't help but bring a bit of an edge to every character he plays. And the thing is, they, I suppose they could have got anybody to play Hamilton's dad. You know, you could have got Cosmo in or somebody a bit, you know, mm. like it, it's because to your point, it's not exactly because they don't make an awful lot of the relationship between Hamilton and his dad. You know, you get that sort of suggestion at the start that, that you know, that Hamilton's dad's got high expectations um, of his son. You know, he's, he doesn't approve of the sort of political leanings that Hamilton has and then the, the fact that he hasn't he doesn't seem to have sort of settled on what he's going to do at university mm. a bit frustrated and stuff but they don't sort of dwell on it that much and I think if you didn't have somebody like Peter Mullen there who brings that gravitas to the role that second scene when he tells him how proud of him he is it wouldn't have had the same it wouldn't have had the same gravitas you know what I mean it wouldn't have had the same effect mm. um but uh, but yeah, I mean it's 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 a really swally centric cast in this movie. You know what I mean? It's just if you look at our swally tally, it's just everybody, they, they, almost everybody, every Scottish actor in the cast has appeared in something, at least one thing that we've uh, that we've covered. And um, we did have, and but he was cut out of the film. You know that Christopher Lee, yeah, I read that, was yeah. originally cast as the old Ian Hamilton, and the the originally it was meant to be told like in a flashback yeah and i'm so glad they they cut that out and stopped that because it just would have turned it into a bit like a fucking titanic yeah, you know? yeah. like i owe a hundred years ago yeah. i stole the stone of destiny yeah no i'm glad they um they kind of got rid of that aspect of it yeah i mean christopher lee is actually one of my favorite actors and i know that i know that he's sort of famous for doing the the kind of hammer films and the sort of schlockier stuff although he, you know he does appear in things like The Wicker Man and uh, Lord of the Rings, but I mean the 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 reason that I really and it's, it's like a really stupid reason, right? But the reason that I the, one of the many reasons why I really can't be arsed with Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings films is because I read about how shittily he treated Christopher Lee. <laughs> <laughs> poor Christopher Lee you know what I mean he's been acting for years an old man very dignified old man um, and he's you know he's 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 being taken he's getting roasted by this fucking fat Kiwi specky director do you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> 
but um, no, I, I, I didn't mean about that. And we know that Christopher Lee can do like a reasonable Scottish accent because, of course, he's famously Lord Summer Isle in The Wicker Man. Mm. So yeah, I did mean about that. So it's a you know it's a fascinating story. I mean, there's not a lot to the story at the end of the day. Effectively, the it's just come out that there's been a vote, and you know Scotland aren't getting their own parliament, and Ian Hamilton decides that there needs to be some sort of symbol. Mm-hmm. That has to to show that we're not going to put up with your shit any longer. Like, there has to be something. And he just so suddenly decides, you know what, we're going to steal the Stone of Destiny and and take it back. And quite quickly, he gets a little ragtag group together, and that's exactly what they do. And that's pretty much it (laughs) to the film. They go, they nick it, they take it back. It's like the simplest heist you've ever seen in a a (laughs) film. They just... I mean, there's not a lot of tension. I mean, the most tension comes when Ian loses his car keys <laughs> towards the end of the film. You know, th- th- that's it. There's no peril or anything, really. But it, it's such a, a simple story. And I think it does show the the very patrioticness of Scotland. And I, I, I think it, it is kind of summed up in, in um, you know, a couple of parts of, of we're just doing this as a, a symbol. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to take this back. And it could be seen as like a, a student prank, but it was a, a very serious thing mm-hmm. in terms of them them doing this and, and, and trying to make like a, a political statement. Come on, we'll get a pint, we'll talk no, about I'm it. Not, not, no more talk, all right? I'm serious. Someone's got to do something. So what are you going to do then? Get an army? Invade England? Of course not. Then what, Ian? What? A symbol. We need a symbol, a gesture. Something to wake these people up a bit. An act of revolution, a salt march. A what? You know, Gandhi, when they march across India protesting taxes and salt. Oh, so you're Gandhi now? No, because, Bill, you know, you know what we are. You know what Scottish people are. We're ashamed. Ashamed of being Scottish. Screw them, because I'm not. Well, that's exactly it, you know, and, and when I was reading about the heist itself, because as, as we've been growing up in Scotland, so Scottish nationalism has always been sort of, it's always been in the the sort of atmosphere, the kind of political atmosphere in Scotland, and obviously no more so than the last sort of 10, 15 years when the SNP have been the controlling party in the Scot- in the devolved Scottish government. But it was interesting to read that, you know, and I, I I don't know if it was because it was so close to the end of the Second World War or whatever. I'm not sure what, what the reason was for it. But it seemed that, like, Scottish nationalism wasn't a particularly big thing in the late 40s and 1950s in Scotland. You know, they, there's there's this there's a scene at the start of the film when the guy in the pub roasts them for talking about nationalism and says, you know, we're, mm. it's it's North Britain. You know what I mean? And, it, you know, I, I, I don't know if that was just a device used uh, in the film or if that was actually the case. Um, I mean, I don't know. They all my grandparents have gone, so I don't have anybody to ask about it. Like, anybody? I don't. I don't have anybody who was alive around about that time anymore. But if if that was the case, if you know, if, if Scottish nationalism just wasn't really on the agenda for apart from with like a small group of people um, in the shape of uh, this, this, you know, the Scottish Covenant. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, as you say, my grandparents are, you know, all long gone mm-hmm. as well. So I don't know what the, the kind of feeling was at that time. Yep. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised, like, that, you know, North Britain. Like, I, I, I've i never really heard of that. I've never heard that, um, yeah. Being so, I, I don't know if that is, is true. There is maybe some sort of artistic license in this film. And, and it does seem like this is kind of a, an American stroke Canadian view of, you know, of 
of Scotland. Yeah. And, you know, put down upon it. It's very much kind of Braveheart, Rob Roy, shot a glory yeah. type film, you know, they kind of put down upon Scots. I mean, uh, at one point, Ian says, and it's something that I massively disagree with, he, he does say Scottish people are ashamed of being Scottish. Mm-hmm. And apart from Rangers fans, I don't know any <laughs> single Scottish person that is ashamed of being Scottish. Well, like Celtic fans would rather be Irish, but <laughs> that's yeah, I guess that's true. Actually, let's let's um yeah, let's let's just go all in there. Yeah, we're not going to split. Yeah, yeah. but I I've never met a Scots person that's ashamed of being Scottish. No, like I'm so proud to be Scottish, and that's I think. And I did check, and I think it is like the two of the I think the top three nations in the world or something that are like so proud of their nationality are I think it's the Scots, the Dutch, and the Welsh. Yeah are like the three kind of that are so proud. And and yeah, I, I've never met anyone that is, you know, apart from Renton, maybe, you know, shite being Scottish. But I, I was very surprised to hear that line and, and to hear that if that was a way of thinking at the time. And, and as you said, it was just after the, the war. I, I would have thought it would have been more galvanised in terms of the, the kind of national identity of being Scottish and being proud. Well, I mean, I don't, I mean, it, and this is just pure conjecture. I'm sure, you know, if any of our listeners know better, then let us know in the socials. But I think maybe, you know, like going through the World War of six years and, you know, and, and the war effectively being fought in in the country, um, albeit in the skies, at the end, you know, the kind of bombings of Clyde Bank and other parts of Scotland and stuff like that um, by, the, by the Nazis. I don't know if there was like a feeling of perhaps... British national uh, patriotism after, you know, beating beating the Nazis, beating tyranny, you know, freeing um, Eastern Europe, although we did then just hand it over to Russia. But you know what I mean? Um, maybe there was a feeling of, uh, of sort of national pride and getting behind the British government, getting behind the royal family and everything else, um, sort of generally speaking. And, you know, like... I guess it also depends on the guys who volunteered to go off and fight in the war when they came back. You know, were they off fighting for Scotland or were they off fighting for Britain? I guess, you know, mm. that's I guess that's what it comes down to, right? Yeah, very true. Yeah. yeah, very true indeed, actually. Yeah, so I'm not sure. I think it would need to maybe delve a bit more into quite the what the feeling was around about that time. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Cox, you know, assisted by his, his band of merry men, I guess we'll, we'll come on to the lovely... Kate Mara. Um, as I've said, Kate Jessica Lange Mara. Um, I mean, her accent is all over the place. Let's just be quite honest. Excuse me, it's a K, isn't it? It might be. Ian Hamilton. I know. Nice to meet you. You dancing? You asking? Yeah, it might be. I like the idea of teaching. Working with children and helping them find their way in the world. You must be the Highlander, isn't you? Only happy when you're tending the helpless or battling English. Well, we're simple folk. I like your necklace, by the way. Boyfriend? No, for my father. Wonderful man, the crofter. Oh, we farm lads. <laughs> Grew up with the sheep. And watching my father struggle every day trying to feed us. Paying taxes to a government that knows as much about the Highlands as they know about the moon. I'm not quite sure. I was trying to think of, you know, around about this time, who else could have been cast in this role? Because I think, like, Laura Fraser would have been a bit too old for this role. 
around about that time, maybe. So yeah. I was trying to think of like a, a Scottish actress that could, that could have had it. And don't get me wrong, Kate Mara, she's great. And you know, she's a very good actress. And obviously she's lovely, but did it need her in this? Like, could it have had a Scottish actress playing that part? She doesn't do much, really. She spends half the film sick yeah you know in the car so she doesn't have a huge amount she does kind of save the day towards the end in terms of the heist but i don't know is there could someone else have played that role really well well, that's a thing to your point who is there you know i was thinking of um i was thinking of uh what's the actress called from uh, braveheart who plays uh in the beginning Oh my god, her head's completely—it's completely gone out my head. You know the actress who plays who plays Wallace's wife, um, who gets dispatched at the end of the first act in Braveheart. It's right on the tip of my tongue. You know what I'm talking about, right? You could you, you could maybe have had um, uh, Kelly McDonald. Maybe she would have been because she she sort of she's she sort of ever young, isn't she, Kelly McDonald? Are you thinking of Catherine McCormick? Yeah. She's maybe a bit too old, though, eh? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, a little bit too old, I think, for around about that time. Because you need someone that's kind of... Student-ish. Student-y-ish yeah. type of age. That's why I was thinking, like, Laura Fraser was maybe just slightly too old. And then we, we've got such a, a beautiful, like, kind of generation now of Scottish actresses coming through. But I guess they would have all been, like, too young at the time. So trying to find someone at that kind of point but maybe Karen, is maybe a bit tricky. Karen Gillan? How, when did she start doing Doctor Who? That was during about this time, right? Or was it a bit later? Mm, maybe maybe just slightly later yeah. but yeah maybe around about that time could have been okay yeah I think the problem with Karen Gillan is she'd have been taller than all the guys in the film so. yeah <laughs> so, true you know. um, yeah possibly but um, yeah I mean Kate Mara does a, a decent job she is good I mean I think Kelly McDonald could have been good in the role you know she's because what, what age was she have been then so she was, what, she, she yeah, was she, 19 and she'd been, two th- yeah so she, she'd have been like her 30s like late thirties. No, she was nineteen when Trainspotting came out. That was only twelve years before. She'd have been in her early thirties. I suppose. Yeah, it's probably too old, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, still too old. I mean, this is two thousand and eight. Yeah. You're talking twenty years. No, twelve years. Twelve years. Yeah. Sorry, ahead of yeah, twelve years. Yeah, still a bit too old. I think. Yeah, maybe. But she sort of looks. She I mean, sort of looks quite young, Kelly McDonald. Though, do you know what I mean? I don't know. Hmm. Anyway, but no, yeah, Kate Mara is a surprising choice. I mean, what what fascinates me about Kate Mara is that she looks exactly the same now <laughs> she did mm. 14 years ago. <laughs> yeah, she does. Yeah. She puts it down to her vegan diet and exercise routine, she said. But nice to see Daredevil and Sue Storm together. For, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. For a little... Um, little kiss and a cuddle. Heist. A little kiss and a cuddle. Yeah. The other, of course, the other actor who is prominent in this, who is one of her favourites, is uh, and is also... Well, I, I, I don't know if he's a fan of the podcast, but I know he's a fan of her social media <laughs> and Instagram, <coughs> is uh, the the intimidable Stephen McCall. Now, the film just seems to come to life yeah. when Stephen McCall comes in it. Yeah, definitely. It just adds this little extra spark when Gavin appears. And I know we are biased because we are huge fans of Stephen McCall. Yeah. But it just adds this kind of gravitas to it and just, just it just seems to light up. And he's just got so many amazing, you know, little one-liners yeah. and just, it's, it's so playful and fun, but so earnest and delivers one of my favourite lines of the film um, when they're in London and the police are kind of there and Ian is kind of like, oh, they've got our names. And Gavin's like, aye, and they've got our stone. <laughs> and it's just, oh, it's so like, that's just get your heart. Yeah. Like, come on, go and get it, go on. <laughs> and he's just, yeah, he's wonderful. You know, it turns out he, he brings his mate Alan along because he's got a car. And you know, <laughs> it's like, 
like this carefully laid plan that Ian's done because fucking Billy Boyd's fucked off back to the Shire because he's too shite scared <laughs> to to take part in this heist. So he's had to get Gavin on board, and then you know he brings his mate Alan along, and it just kind of derails the whole plan. But it you know it works obviously well. But yeah, uh, Steve McCall just absolutely just shines through in this film. It, so good. It brings is. It brings such a lot of energy uh, to it, mm. you know, and it's it's a real it's as as good as uh, Charlie Cox is an actor, and his accent is good, and you know, to the to somebody who didn't know, he might almost convince them that he was Scottish. But I think Steve McCall brings a bit of a needed Scottish energy to the whole mm. enterprise. You know what I mean? It's just like. This, this, the, the little scene when he's left alone in the road after they've got the stone, and he says, "I'll get the train," and he's he's sort of jigging, celebrating that the that the heist has gone off. I mean, it's 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 a real Scottish energy. And I was reading a bit about the 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 guy that he plays, uh, Gavin Vernon, because he's got his own. He's got a bit of a, a Wikipedia entry. It's not a massive. Um, it's not a massive article, but um, when he graduated from university and got married, uh, he actually emigrated to Canada. Gavin Vernon, um, mm. uh, yeah, and he, he became a successful engineer working all around the world: Vancouver, Czechoslovakia, Saudi Arabia, Aberdeen. <laughs> but he, um, when the when the stone was officially returned to Scotland in 1996, albeit as the film says it at the end, it was only on loan. Gavin attended the ceremony in Edinburgh on Christmas Eve uh, 2000, which was the the 50th um, anniversary of the event. He returned to Westminster Abbey, which was um, specially opened for him. Um, unfortunately, he's he's since passed away. He passed away in 2004, but he sounds like a real character, you know. And mm. you know, when you when you read about somebody like that, you think, you know, you. you with McCall's performance, you could imagine Gav- like Steve McCall as Gavin Vernon going on to emigrate to Canada and go around the world because you know and do it because yeah. he's such he, he plays them with such this with such a kind of gregarious energy. You know, I mean, let me ask you this: Why is Stephen McCall not as successful as the likes of James McAvoy, for example, or Ewan McGregor, one of these guys? I couldn't tell you, mate. Yeah. I, I genuinely couldn't tell you because I know McCall's quite high up on our. Swatley Town. Yeah. And I'd say every single thing we've covered him in, he's been outstanding. You know, I think like back to The Wee Man, yeah. for example, yeah. which isn't the, the best film. He is just the best mm. thing in it because he's just got so much, you know, I guess he's like Gavin on cocaine with money. Yeah. You know, again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and no morals. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you know, but he can turn his hand to anything. Um, I mean, what was it? We what is he? Is it Ned? He's in. You know, he's I was, the, the, yeah, the teacher. the teacher. I was just about to say. Yeah. I mean, I, I I know he's not in the film that much, but that's it's one of my favourite performances of his as the teacher because yeah. he's 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 clearly drawing on his own experiences of being at school. You know, mm. it's phenomenal. Like that, the, the whole sequence with him and, and the young, um, I can't remember the lead character's name in Ned's now, but they, the, when he, the sort of young version of him, if you like, it's just, it's absolutely fantastic. But yeah, I really, I would just love to see, I'd love to see Steve McCall on more, you know, like doing like higher profile stuff and, you know, 
sort of getting his shot. I mean, I think he's done quite a few things quite recently. I know he was in, um, I don't know if you watched the, the submarine thing, Vigil. And oh, not yet. I know he's he's been in Shetland recently, and he's in a couple of episodes of Mayflies, which we maybe need to, to cover at some point yep. on the, the culture swally. Um, and he has been, of course, I mean, I'm forgetting, like Barney Thompson, he's fucking brilliant in yeah, Barney he's Thompson amazing. as well. Yeah. You know? He's great in it. Um, and you forget he's in Christ, he's in Orphans, he's mm. in The Crow Road, he's in Complicity. Um, Young Person's Guide. Exactly, yeah. yeah Big Willie, the drummer. <laughs> yeah. Big staunch. He's definitely a, a Billy boy. <laughs> um, absolutely. And I know, as I say, we're a, we're kind of biased because we're big fans of him and I know he he does speak to us occasionally on Instagram mm-hmm. and stuff. But I agree, he he's a brilliant actor yeah. and he just brings something to every role. And it's like I say, every role he does is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and it's he's almost a oh, a chameleon. But you know what I mean. Like if you think about just those those few roles that we've mentioned there, every single one is completely different. Mm-hmm. It's not a a case of oh, it's Steve McCall playing yeah Steve McCall in this. It's he's almost you know something. Did I say this? But it's almost a young Alex Norton. Like you know because. Norton kind of has that chameleon kind of aspect as yeah. well. If you think of all the things we've covered um, that he's in, Steve McCall is effectively like a, a young Alex Norton. Yeah, for sure. You know, he's... I, I wonder, I mean, we've, we've used the phrase before and not being professional sort of reviewers or actors herself. I sort of hesitate to use it again, but I wonder if he's a bit of an actor's actor. So I know that mm. Peter Mullen obviously likes to work with him. You know, he... It yeah. gave him a a prominent role in his in his in his direct his directorial uh, debut, Orphans, that you mentioned before. He's he's in Ned's, you know what I mean? It's I just wonder if that's so. And and I know he did a bit of a spell in River City as well, but he only did it for a year, you know. And then he's he's since gone on to do stuff like you mentioned before, the, the Martin Compton uh, submarine thing, Vigil, and, and stuff like that. So he, even though he's done that year in River City, he's not let it. He's not let what happens to some soap actors. You know they sort of get a bit trapped. You know, you could say that, you mm. could say, maybe say that about um, Ian uh, from Small Faces, Ian McDonald, is it? Robertson. Robertson. You know, he's, you know, he's been, he's sort of in River City and he's not really done anything since. You know, he's, he's, he's done a kind of, he's, he does a kind of a, a walking show where he does these like famous walks mm. in Scotland and people go along with him and stuff. But as far as his acting goes, he seems sort of boxed in in, in the soap, whereas Stephen McCall hasn't allowed that to happen to him. You know, he's gone on and done a lot of quite interesting work since he was in River City. <clears throat> I think it's difficult because you're saying, you know, for example, Ian Robertson, and I'm not, for, for one instance, and saying this is what he's decided yeah. but as an actor it must be difficult in terms of having to go for all these auditions and sure you know effectively you get a role great but then you're not knowing where your next role is coming from yeah and you could go a year without having work when you've got a gig in like a soap like river city you've got a regular paycheck he probably you know mm-hmm. stays at home with his family probably works nine to five monday to friday yeah. you know for filming gets his weekends off happy days he doesn't have to go on location for three months to do a film and stuff like Mm -hmm. you know it's a regular gig it's a regular wage and you know i'm sure they're not getting paid peanuts so it's it's yeah you kind of have to think you know fuck it i'll just happy enough doing that for for a while Mm -hmm. yeah definitely um 
And then the, the other actor who is uh, part of the gang here, who can't really, I've not really seen him in a lot of stuff, is uh, Kieran. Is it Kieran Hodge who plays? Uh, hang on, let me get. Yeah, sorry, Kieran yeah. Kelly who plays Alan. I plays yeah. Alan, the other member of the the other member of the gang. You know, he's good. He's, he doesn't. He's. He, I know he's. He's been sort of. He's kind of plugging away over the years since since he did this film. But his little speech to Rab Affleck mm. um, at the Travelers Camp. Which I thought was hilarious when they turn up and they got the big traveller sitting on the stone, you know what I mean, next to the fire. Um, but his little speech to him and stuff, I thought was, I thought it was good. I mean, it was it's nicely written, but he perform mm. he performs it really well. Where he's he's been a bit of a reactive character through the through most of the film, and then apart from the bit in the in the railway station when he suggests after Kay gets sick and he suggests uh, going home to think again. Um, you know, like when he sits down and, and he, he sort of gives this really quite emotional and powerful little speech about what it means to be what it what, what it means to be Scottish, what it means to have your way of life not treated with the respect that it should be treated with, etc. I thought, well, fair play, you know, because up, up until then he was it was a bit of a third wheeler thought you know yeah but he just comes to the fore at that point yeah. and as you say you're just like where's this come from Alan like, <laughs> and it's almost like he's got he's only been brought along because he's got a car <laughs> yeah. and because Gavin's roped him into yeah. it but on the whole journey and the whole way of this he's kind of adopted this swell of nationalism mm-hmm. and this absolute fire burning in him and that speech he delivers to to rab affleck is just beautiful and just the comic timing yeah. of the the last line when he's like and it's sitting under your arse yeah. it's just it's it's beautiful the way it's delivered it's just so funny yeah um you can't help burst out laughing as much as big rab bursts out <laughs> yeah, laughing yeah our people the scots have died for freedom over and over for centuries, and we would again too gladly. But for us to continue our fight, we need a symbol to unite our people. We've not done anything wrong, although what we have done is illegal. But we've done the only thing we could. We need that symbol of freedom so that the flame that burns in here can never be extinguished. This symbol of yours, what is it? It's under your arse. <laughs> I d- I've got to be honest, I, I didn't recognise Rab straight away without his sort of trademark facial hair, mm. you know? Yeah, it took me a second as well mm. to realise that it was actually Rab Affleck. Yeah. So I was like, Jesus Christ, you know, uh, big, uh, big famous Rab in there. But yeah, I mean, Alan, it, he's a great character. He's just kind of along for the ride. Mm-hmm. But it's, um, yeah, he does come out in of his shell there, mm. I think. Yep. And of course, you have two kind of heavyweight actors. Mm. I mean, you have a fucking Academy Award winner yeah. in this film yeah. in terms of Brenda Fricker, yeah. basically relegated to playing Bobby Carlyle's <laughs> housekeeper. She's effectively the, the Mrs. Doyle yeah. <laughs> of this film. Um, she's only got a couple of scenes, but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't recognise her either to begin with at the start because she's changed quite a lot. I, mean, I remember yeah. he, Used to watch her on Casualty, mm. and then of course, very famously, she's in you know My Life Foot, yep. and then of course, Home Alone Two is probably what. Yeah, yeah. Let's face it, most people know her from. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's um serving as Robert Carlyle's housekeeper, and Bobby Carlyle playing a a, a great role yeah. in this. You know, he's only in a few scenes, but he's a a very impassioned, you know, kind of strong 
Scottish independent guy as John McCormick, who yeah obviously famously a, a real person but I, I think his his few scenes he's great and again he does have kind of the comedic timing and aspect when ian is asking for the 50 yeah. for the to go and do the heist and he's thinking he's asking for fifty thousand pounds and he's like well what are you going to spend it on he's like oh petrol fish and yeah. chips you know <laughs> fifty thousand on fish no fifty pounds it's um yeah it's a good scene yeah yeah it's a really good scene i mean i think you know you were saying about um Steve McCall earlier on and you know I think uh, Robert Carlyle when it comes to you know when you think of like the sort of extreme characters he's played over the years you know we, we, we just had him a few months ago in Looking After Jojo obviously you know I think he'll the role he'll always be remembered for in Scotland, at least, is uh, is Begbie and Trainspotting and T two yeah. and stuff like yeah. and stuff and you know he's 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 his earlier his early roles were sort of extreme quite extreme characters and stuff and in this you know the he again you know he's 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 not a very physically speaking he's not a very big guy Robert Carlyle but mm. you know in this you know he's he's the he's the rector of the university you know he's he's Scottish through and through like they stick a rossy rock right but he um you know but he's he he, he you know I, I don't know if he ever went to university i don't think robert carlyle went to university but he plays this sort of institutional role and character absolutely fantastically as well as having that you know like a, a character that could be quite a bit of a sort of stuffed shirt as we would say in scotland or whatever but mm. He still he he maybe plays the character a bit like that, but he still he evokes this passion for home rule for Scotland, and you know when when they uh, I love the scene when they meet um, in the countryside after the guys have kind of recollected the stone from Rab Affleck mm. from Rab Affleck and. Um, <laughs> And they're having like a wee dram and sort of toasting the success of the of the heist is is great. You know what I mean? He's he's just you know again Robert Carlyle is just like almost everything that he's in. He just he's he's like a revelation almost in everything that you watch him in. He's just so surprising the the sort of choices that he makes as an actor and the things that he does. It's fucking absolutely phenomenal. As you say, for him to to be, and as you say, he'll he'll always be kind of known as Begbie. Yeah, and I, I think especially in Scotland, I think even overseas probably. Yeah. Um. I mean, obviously, around about that time or just before then, he was of course Hamish Macbeth, and yeah. the very last two episodes of Hamish Macbeth of the the entire series uh-huh. feature a storyline about the Stone of Destiny. Oh, really? Um, so yeah, so it's quite a little nice little dovetail yeah. of, of Robert Kyle Doyle there. But as you say, he can turn his hand to anything. We are probably more familiar with his extreme things like as you've said looking after Jojo mm-hmm. for example and of course his turning cracker and mm-hmm. playing the, the Bond villain but then yeah. he can turn his hand to obviously we know the full Monty and stuff but I would immediately think of Barney Thompson you know Barney Thompson is a complete wet blanket yeah, yeah. but Carlisle it's so believable in that role but how can it, it you know it's a testament to the actor that he can, can play a wet blanket like Barley Thompson being like this kind of bumbling idiot that's so shy and nervous yeah um and then a couple of years later you know he can pop up again in t2 playing this absolute fucking psycho begbie and within the first scene that you see begbie when he's delivering that impassioned speech about writing letters to the queen yeah. <laughs> and when it's listener, did you just push that weird red button you're you're totally in the oh my god this guy's a fucking psycho yeah, yeah. he's 
uh, he's just, as we've said on the T2 and Trainspot episodes, we all know a Begbie, this wee guy who is just an absolute fucking nutter. But Carlisle is just so, it's just wonderful in terms of the way he can just play these different roles. And as you say, as this kind of rector of this university, but with this impassioned about independence and, and wanting Scotland to have its own government, he's just so believable mm. in that role. And you really, you know, you're, he's so impassioned and just, yeah, plays it wonderfully. Yeah, I mean, like in, in T2, like he's sort, of, he's, he's sort of physically, he's kind of physically changed as well, because, you mm. know, for the part, because like Carlisle, I think like he's facially, he's got sort of quite high cheekbones and almost a sort of heart-shaped face, you know what I mean? He's, he's quite striking, but when he, as the older Begbie, he's obviously put on a bit of weight, his face is a bit rounder, he's got the, the grey moustache, the grey hair, you know what I mean? Like, he's, he doesn't, he, almost, he doesn't look like himself almost, mm. you know, he's like, it's like a sort of physical transformation to play the role. But yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, I, I really, I really enjoyed his scenes in this, I really did. And I want, mm. and I wonder if maybe there's a wee, I don't know what his political leanings are, but I wonder if maybe there's a wee bit of, if he's got a wee bit of um, Scottish nationalism and he's, and he's sort of political strata you know <laughs> you would think you wouldn't take on that role if you if you weren't that way well, inclined maybe, surely maybe i know it's a, a paying gig but you're going to be associated with it so i don't think you would if you it, if you yeah maybe not so the story of the heist has actually been and i had to look for it but i couldn't find it on youtube but it's actually been made into a tv film before called the pinch um mm. the, the, the bbc made it in 1980 how do we look on youtube but i couldn't seem to find it. I don't know. There's no like Wikipedia or anything about it, so I don't know who was in it or whatever. But um, BBC Scotland did make a dramatisation about the interrogation of Kay Matheson when she was interviewed uh, after the about her part by the police um, about the stone being um, stolen. It's it's all it's all in Gaelic. Um, again, I couldn't seem to find it. But if anybody knows where, maybe it will watch it. Then let us know, and we'll put it on the socials. Um, talking of accents as well, the other Swally stalwart that we've we've missed out and we haven't spoken about is, of course, the security guard mm. of Westminster Abbey, <laughs> yeah. which is Ron Donaghy doing a Cockney accent. Yeah, not a great Cockney accent, uh, Ron. No. I'll be honest. <laughs> not the best not the best but anyway he kind of rumbles um, Ian obviously the first night but then they go back and steal the stone and it's it's very easy the way they steal the stone and they they manage to get it kind of back over to the border although albeit in in two parts Um, so quite a successful heist at the end of the day but then of course the film kind of ends effectively with them taking it to our broth abbey and then the police sirens in the background but of course, that didn't happen. No, they didn't get arrested then. They they delivered it to our Broth Abbey, but it was later on yeah, that yeah. they they actually got arrested. Um, was it because of Billy Boyd's Polaroid um camera? Because <laughs> he showed the police a photograph of him and Ian at Christmas, but it was from the previous year. Did the police really believe that he had got that photo developed so quickly? Because I don't think Boots the Chemist were open at that time, but. Certainly wouldn't have got it back within a day, and of course there were no Polaroid cameras. No. So how did they? Did they think he had a dark room in his basement that he got it? You know, developed so soon. Who knows? I mean, you know, as as far as a plot device goes, I suppose it's a reasonable one. Maybe there's that. Maybe there was a maybe there was a film developing room in the university that he had access to or something. Just to give just to give him a charitable assumption. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, 
But um, yeah, Billy Boyd's another interesting um, Scottish actor in the sense that, you know, the Lord of the Rings films, despite what you or I might think of them, uh, were massively successful. And he's obviously, he plays, well, maybe not obvious, I don't know if you've ever watched them. I've watched them. But he plays a pivotal. I've, I've, I've seen the first 45 minutes of the first one twice. Right, okay. So he... Because I fell asleep at the same point <laughs> both times and I've never watched anything else of it. Well, he's um, his role is an important role. He's one of the main. He's one of the main characters. But he never, okay. he never seems to have. Um, he never seems to have replicated that success. Mm. Um, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen Billy Boyd around Glasgow a couple of times when I used to live there. Um, I saw him like at the ski, at the where the ski slope is in Brayhead in Glasgow once with his kids. He seems like a seems like a lovely guy. But um, yeah, I mean, I thought you know, in this film, his character sort of starts off, and you think, oh, he's going to be an important part of the of the story, and then. Uh, he's kind of not really you know he, 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 he mm. backs out for academic reasons he's worried about throwing away his career and everything and then he helps out a wee bit after the stone mm. has been has been stolen he hears it on the radio but um yeah i don't know I th- I'm, I'm not sure uh i'm not sure why if we needed billy boyd to play that part to be honest. I mean, fair play, it's easy to, to have a go at Bill being like, oh, you're chickening out now. But, you know, he's got a fair point. It's around about Christmas. He's just about to get married. He doesn't want to be taking part in that. As he says, you know, we could be looking at some serious prison time for this. It, effectively, it's treason, mm-hmm. really, that they're they're committing. I mean, of course, as we, we find out at the end, although they were all arrested, they were never prosecuted. Um, but I don't know, I'm kind of on Bill's side here. Like, I'd be kind of like, you know what? Like, it was all, it's all fun and games planning this kind of thing, but actually doing it? Like, nah. Like, I'm just about to finish my second degree. <laughs> I'm getting married. You know, we're just buying a house. It's Christmas. It, nah, I can't be arsed going all the way down to London just to fucking retrieve a stone. Shite bag. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're like I'm. 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 I'm making fun of you, but I would probably be exactly the same. Shape yeah, I don't want to get in trouble with the police. So. <laughs> um, the other thing in this movie is that there are some spectacular locations used. Um, that you mentioned the 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 ruined Abbey of Arbroath uh, for the final scene in the film. Amazing countryside there. Famously, the uh, Harry Potter fans will be familiar with the Glen uh, Finnan Viaduct in Fort William. Um, yeah, so 105 miles north of Glasgow. So <laughs> when he was taking the train down to London, why was he going up to Fort William to go back down? Well, I guess they're just they're just they're they're just trying to create a sense of time <laughs> and the sense of the the era um, with the steam train and everything else. Um, yeah. But so you know, a lot of great shots, a lot of great filming inside Glasgow University, which is uh, a lovely old campus um, and and around the sort of west end of Glasgow and stuff. Um, really, and obviously. London itself, you know, like uh, some parts of London which are spectacular to look at and always look good on film. I think uh, I think the director does a good job of um, really sort of amplifying uh, all these locations. Really good. I mean, I think it's it's hard not to watch this film and feel like a massive swell of patriotic scotland and just feel like oh i'm so fucking proud to be scottish <laughs> yeah. and seeing this and i know it's you know again this happened you know this is this is more yeah, yeah. true to fact than you know braveheart or 
Rob Wright, for example. But mm-hmm. it's it's hard not to watch this and just feel so proud and just to have that kind of your chest swelling and be like, oh, good on you, boys. Come on, you know, mm-hmm. for Scotland. Um, it's beautiful. Well, there's an interesting element about the heist, which they don't, uh, show in the film, um, they 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 do they, they do show the part when when they're when they're taking the stone out of the chair and it breaks a bit of it breaks off. So and they also show when they get the before they return it to the abbey, they get it repaired by a stonemason. Mm. So the stonemason was actually a guy called Robert Gray, and he placed a metal rod in the stone before he repaired it with a with a me- like with a bit of paper attached to it with a message on it. But nobody knows to this day what was written down on the the bit of paper that he that he that he put in there which i thought was quite cool and i thought well that's i feel, I feel like quite a good dramatic thing to put into the plot but for whatever reason mm. for whatever reason they they decided not to do it yeah um but i i mentioned earlier on how ian uh the actual ian ian hamilton the, the real guy was a bit of an antagonist and i found out a couple of things about him which i thought were, thought were quite interesting um and and somehow very scottish so uh, apart from his his uh, stealing of the Stone of Destiny. I mean, famously, none of the the four who were involved were ever prosecuted. But he, so he went on to complete his studies, and he 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 became a young advocate in 1953. But he refused to swear allegiance to Queen Elizabeth II, and his argument was that in Scotland, she could only be referred to as Queen Elizabeth with no number because. When Queen Elizabeth I was the Queen, Scotland was independent from England. So uh, <laughs> Elizabeth I had never ruled over Scotland, which meant that we, we couldn't have a Queen Elizabeth II, <laughs> which, I thought, which I thought was quite good. And, the, you know, unfortunately, he, he, he only passed away last year. Uh, he passed, yeah. In October last year, he passed away. But um, as, 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 as recently as 2009, he uh, almost, almost sued the Royal Bank of Scotland uh, over claims that they had missold shares to him in uh, in 2008 um, but he ended up dropping the case because um, the small claims court refused to deal with it but he famously well I don't know if it's that famous he was also the rector of Aberdeen University from 1994 to 1996 um, he was the SNP's choice for rector of Glasgow University but um <laughs> He lost out in the election. You won't believe this. He lost out in the election to Ross Kemp. So, gr- <laughs> <laughs> which, which, you know, if he was anything like what I assume he was like, would have really fucking pissed him off losing out to Grant Mitchell. Uh, yeah, so he, 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 was never, um, he was never the rector of Glasgow University. He does make a cameo in the film. He plays a, a sort of typical London businessman who passes by a scene with um, Charlie Cox and uh, Kate Mara. But he, again, much like Gavin Vernon, he does sound like he was a, he was a real kind of character uh yeah in hamilton and, and i'm sure probably a very interesting guy to sit and have a chat to yeah i can imagine i would love to have heard about this um story firsthand yeah. and you know what inspired him to actually do it because i mean i know it's kind of covered in the film but it is also a little bit just kind of whimsical of all right we need to do something there's not a lot background into their political leanings really you know mm-hmm. it, it does seem that he's just kind of all right i'm, I'm gonna do this yeah because i need to do something and, you know, as to say, Gavin just kind of comes along because he just, I guess, like, fancies a laugh um, <laughs> and, and wants something to do. Alan just comes along because 
he's got a car. Yeah. Kay is kind of, she is, you know, politically involved, as, as we know, because that's where um, Ian kind of meets her at, at um, the ball that John has kind of arranged. So she, and, and we see her at the beginning actually handing out flyers about, you know, Scottish independence. So mm-hmm. she is obviously quite politically motivated, but you don't really get a huge amount of backstory as to why it is they really want to do this. But well, could have done with a little bit more of that, maybe. Well, she's, she was also an interesting uh, character, Kay Matheson. You know, she's. She's, a, mm. she's actually a, a Gaelic speaker. Uh, came from uh, Inverisdale near Loch and things, and she uh, she was she was sort of close. She, 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 you know, after all this, she went off and became a teacher. Um, she was she remained a political activist. She ran against uh, Charles Kennedy, uh, the Lib Dem leader, um, in the election in like the nineteen eighties, but um, she. Never ever got married. Uh, she went back to where she came from to teach after she graduated from Glasgow University. Um, she passed away sadly, although at a good age, uh, eighty four years old. She passed away in two thousand and thirteen. But the picture on her Wikipedia, it's a black and white picture from nineteen eighty one, and round her neck she has a necklace uh, with the rampant lion of the Scottish flag on it. It's quite cool. Um, but again, you know, she sounded. She sounds like she was quite an interesting person as well. You know, went on to do yeah. and sort of never, never. I like Ian Hamilton was never too far away from the the cause of Scottish nationalism. Um, long after the famous heist. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. An amazing woman by the sounds of things. Yeah. So, uh, any more points on the Stone of Destiny? Should we put it through our Swally Awards? Yeah. Why not? Let's put it through the awards. Okay. So, what have we got first? Okay. Um, so the first award is the James Cosmo Award for being an everything Scottish. Quite a rich sort of scene to pick from here. I'm interested to know who you chose and if it's the same as what I've got written down. I went with Rabba. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the argument could be Peter Mullen yeah. or even Bobby Carlyle yeah. or even Stephen McCall, McCall yeah. actually. Um, I, I think as soon as Rob Affleck popped up, I was like, oh, well, it's obviously Rab. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. Maybe you could have any of those four, yep. I would say. I mean, McCall actually might be in with a better shout. Um, yeah. Or Mullen. Yeah, one of those. But uh, fuck it. Let's go with Rab. Yeah, I think Rab's, <laughs> Rab's career is longer at this point than Stephen mm. McCall's was. You know, he'd been acting since like the late 1970s in Scottish productions. So Okay, next one then. The Bobby the Barman Award for the best pub. So there's one or two to choose from here. Yeah, there's two. So there's the pub. Because it's the same pub they're in in Scotland. Yeah. It's like three scenes you see, but it is the same pub. Yeah. And then there's the pub in London, obviously, they go to. Um, I mean, yeah, it's obviously the pub in Scotland. Yeah. I mean, you ought to have a decent, yeah. you ought to get a decent pint. You're not going to get that in yeah. a London pub in 1950. So, no. yeah, definitely the Scot. No. And it looked, uh, it looked a nice enough pub as well. Yeah. Like, I'd, I'd be quite happy to go there. Yeah. It looked, it looked like the gang were all drinking pints of, like, McEwen's Export or 70 Shilling or something like that. So, yeah, it did. Yeah. yeah. It looked like it was like a McEwen's, yeah, yeah. kind of um, export. So, yeah, no, I'd, I'd be happy to go there, definitely. Okay. So, like, the next three awards, I mean, I couldn't find anything for. So, I'm interesting. Um, I'm interested to see what you went for. So, mm. there's the Jake McQuillan Your Tease Out Award. So, as you mentioned quite a few times there, it's a gentle film, it's a caper. There's no violence in it, you know? There's nothing at all. I mean, the the stone being broken is the, the most violent thing. Like, and it's an accident. There's there's nothing, there's yeah. no, like, evil, playful hitting. There's nothing tease out about it. I mean, the harshest thing is um, Peter Mullen telling his son to speak up, please. Yeah, yeah. That's, 
that's the most teasy thing you'll find in this film. I mean, if um, if you wanted to stretch, you could maybe say the the bit when um, Gavin tries to pick up a second woman physically, and they all fall down <laughs> in the pub when they're <laughs> when, when when they're celebrating um, the successful the successful heist. But uh, yeah, there's no there's no aggravation in it. So um, no. And then if the, the next one then is the Hugh McGregor Award for gratuitous nudity. Zero nudity in the film. It's all no. sort of cardigans and cuddles. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. What would you like to watch this evening? Do you want to watch a film about sword and sandals or cardigans and cuddles? Yeah. <laughs> and then the the Francis Begbie Award for gratuitous swearing. I mean, there's. I didn't get any swearing. Did you? Did you find any spotting? I caught one. Right, and there is only one okay. in the film because I've watched it twice as well, and I was very careful to watch. Um, and it is when uh, Gavin introduces Alan mm-hmm. to the, and he's like, he's got a car. I know him, and Ian says, "I don't give a shite if you know him." Oh yeah, yeah, and that's, right. that's it. Yeah, that is that's the only swear word in this film. Yeah. So okay, and then what did you have then for our last, well, our second and last award, the archetypal. Scottish moment. I've got three wow, here, okay. and I'm, I kind of can't pick between the three. But um, what have you got? Anything? I got two. Okay, so I've got I've got um, Metropolitan Police's racism towards Scots. <laughs> <laughs> they calls uh, they calls Ian Jock um, and moves him on. And then I've got just the it's it's a broad one, but just the the swell of patriotism that sort of permeates through the film. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. What were your three? Um, I I didn't have either of those. Um, okay. two. So my three were um probably in reverse order. Is the towards the end once they they know that the stone has been liberated and it's in the newspapers, you see a lot of people mounting the Duke of Wellington statue <laughs> yeah, yeah. with their salt tires. <laughs> yeah. Um. Um, I also had the the Alan telling the story about Robert the Bruce oh, and the spider. Yeah, good one. Thought that was. But my first one was when Ian first meets Kay. Right. And they, they, oh, they yeah. missed out the punchline of this, but they, they kind of got it when um says, are you dancing? Mm. Are you asking? But they didn't give it the follow-up with, you know, oh, I'm asking, yeah. well, I'm dancing. Yeah. But yeah, that was uh, that was my three. But yeah, I thought the, the Robert the Bruce spider story and mounting the statue was uh, was pretty good as well. Yeah, it was good. All good ones there. Um, and then lastly then, you know, we, when you and I were having a bit of a chat on the group uh, last week when we were talking about, this, about the film, you said, I don't think there'll be, um, you said, that, I don't think there'll be much debate about the Sean Connery Award. Uh, also known as a uh, who won the who won the film. I mean, I, I I went for Stephen McCall just because the film just goes up about three years after he he comes into it, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's Stephen McCall. I mean, nothing take nothing away from Charlie Cox. No. Um, I'm Kate Mara, but yeah, I completely agree. As I said earlier, the the film just kind of seems to elevate when McCall comes in, mm-hmm. and his character is just so full of life and so funny, and he's got some great lines and just the enthusiasm and th- th- his performance is fantastic. And and for me, if I think about this film. I'll be thinking about him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In this, you know, he'll be kind of the first thought I would have. So, um, yeah. so yeah, Steve McCall for me wins this film. Yeah, he was, he's fantastic in it. So, do you think maybe the Scottish National Party have missed a bit of a trick by not insisting that the, a, a, a double bill of Braveheart and Stone of Destiny isn't played on like, <laughs> like STV like once a month <laughs> at prime time? Oh. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I did see quite a bit of a backlash about the film. People saying that it's very anti-English, and I saw a couple of reviews saying that it's SNP-funded propaganda. But I'm like, uh, but it's a fucking true story. Yeah. Like, this actually happened. And I know there's a little bit of artistic license in some of it, but not much, really. Like, it, it genuinely happened, and I, I don't see how it, it... It's not anti-English. There's only a few... Like, like in fact, they stole our fucking stone. <laughs> we just went and stole it back. I mean, okay, yes, you could say the police or um, calling us jocks and stuff. Yeah. But hey, the security guard's very friendly. Okay, <laughs> he is played by a Scotsman, but <laughs> he's, he's very friendly. And yeah, no, it's... um, I don't see it being anti-English. It's more pro Scotland. I mean, so I mean, yeah, I mean, I think during the film, you know, I expected a bit of a, some criticism of England or the English, gov- the British government, or whatever. And actually, if you watch the film, to your point, at no point is the British is the is the acting British government of the time ever criticised. It's it's mm. it's only about home rule. For Scotland, but they don't. But they don't criticise the British government. They don't criticise English people at, at all <laughs> in the film. Like not at all. No. You know. You, no. Yeah, to, to your point, you could say, well, you know, there's that little scene when um, Charlie Cox's character gets moved on, and the policeman calls him jock, right? You know, I'm sure it's not the worst thing anybody's ever called somebody. But um, I mean, the fucking dandy had the jocks and the Geordies running for about 40 years. <laughs> but it's not, but at no point is anybody overtly criticised for being where they're from. You know what I mean? So No, of course not. Of course I, not. You know, no. I, I, I wouldn't agree with uh, with those reviewers. You know, I, I like what you said at the, at the beginning of the review. You know, it does feel like a, it's quite a feel-good sort of Ealing comedy type um, film with a bit of, a, with a bit of a political message, you could say, but it's, yeah. It's based on it's based on real people. It's based on actual events. You mm. know, you know, they, in the same way that Braveheart was. And I don't remember anybody criticizing Braveheart for being anti-English. And a lot of English people get like cut to bits. <laughs> Braveheart, you know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> and 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 crucially, the 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 baddie in Braveheart, Edward the First Longshanks, is portrayed as a fucking evil, villainous bastard through the whole film with like zero redeeming like zero redeeming activity about his character so yeah reviewers are pricks <laughs> well I enjoyed The Stone of Destiny it sounds like you did as well yeah. and it was yeah I did I really enjoyed it it was my choice for this episode which means it's your choice for the next one so tell us what we're going to be watching before we record the next episode well I'd like to take us from the 1950s to the 1990s on the next episode, Craig. So um, I'd like to look at the first series of a Scottish legal drama that aired on ITV in, uh, in 1991. So it only ran for two series, but I'd like to look at the very first series. And it's only three episodes long, and they are all available on YouTube if our listeners want to watch it. So uh, starring Ewan Stewart in the, uh, the lead role, and in one of her first roles a very young Shirley Henderson. Mm. I'd like to look at The Advocates. Excellent. I remember that being on, but it probably was probably a little bit young for it to pique my mm. interest, you know? I'd love to... Uh, day, we, we should mention that we're both blown away this week when we found out that Ewan Stewart was the son of L- L- Lucky White Heather Club legend Andy Stewart. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I was going to cover that in the next episode, but yes, I was... Um, I, I'd already kind of picked this, so I have watched the first couple of episodes, <laughs> and I was researching... I was just having a look at Ewan Stewart, and I read this interview and it was like the son of Andy Stewart I was like eh (laughs) 
that can't be right. Yeah. No way. And then I instantly text you. I was like, I think I have to retire from the podcast because I did not know that you and Stuart was the son of Andy Stewart. Yes. And I was so relieved and you were like, yeah, I didn't know that either. I'm like, I, I cannot believe, how did that pass us by? How many, you and Stuart's been, he, he must be near the, the top, like kind of, you know, he's, he's just bubbling under that yeah. swally tally. Yeah, yeah. Like we've covered him in so many things and I've just never realised that he was the son of Andy Stewart. Me neither. So... Ah, Donald Farsier Trousers, Jesus. <laughs> Honestly, never mind. Okay, well, yeah, so The Advocates uh, is available on YouTube if any of our listeners want to watch it for the next episode. Um, Son of Destiny is also available on YouTube as well for anybody who wants to watch it, because that, that, that's where I watched it. It is indeed, yes. So I will put a link in the uh, the podcast description if you haven't watched it or if you would like to watch it. Um, it's, it's a bit late now because you've listened to the episode. <laughs> but um, yeah, and go back and watch it. I mean, it, it's it's history. We haven't spoiled anything. Exactly. exactly. So, uh, so you can go back and watch it. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you would like to get in touch with us, you can. You can email us on cultureswally at gmail.com with any news stories you've seen um, that you'd like to um, tell us about. About. If, if you bought a steak from Morrison's that was some down uh, down to Jakey's trousers, then please let us know and how it tasted. Um, or if you've got anything you'd like us to review, or if you just want to get in touch and say hello, then please drop us a line. And you can follow us on the socials. We're on Insta at Culture Swally Pod, and we're on Twitter at Swally Pod. And we also have a beautiful website as well, don't we, Greg? Uh, we do. It's a somewhat neglected website because I've been quite busy over the last few weeks. Um, but you can find us at Culture swally.com you can find links to all the episodes you can find a couple of essays about scottish horror films and scottish television so come along and check it out let us know what you think wonderful right well um i hope you're off to go and research um who's a boy and who's a billy boy <laughs> I am. um I, I don't think i'll have another um quiz on the next episode in terms of that because I don't know if I can find any more out but <laughs> if I do I'll let you know maybe I'll just do a random one every episode okay okay all right well thank you very much Craig until next time until next time I don't understand uh, what has this got to do with you you did it Ian have you any idea the trouble you've gotten yourself into Speak up. I, Dad. I do. I'm so proud of you, son. I am so very proud of you. Oh.